Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, does this weather put you on a roller coaster ride? I know it has me. Do you think we're done with the worst of winter yet? Now, I know we'll get cold days and some snowy days yet, but... I looked out the next couple of weeks, and at least high 40s, low 50s, it looks like almost back to average temperatures. And the lakes are opening up, by the way. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of conditions, both right now and what's coming up today. We're going to talk about a lot of open water fishing today uh, and some boat ramps that either are open or are going to be opening very soon. There are some opportunities to get your boats out starting today and a few that have been open already and a few that are opening soon. We're going to touch on those. We're also going to uh, we'll go up in the mountains and talk to those folks a little bit. And uh, it's a little tough sledding up right up there right now on a lot of lakes. The uh, The fishing is actually pretty good in most of them, except for a few that we may touch on that, too. But the uh, getting around is a little tough. We got snow. And another thing we're going to do in the next few upcoming weeks is we're going to talk about these conditions and how fast the snow melts, what kind of runoff we get, what effects it's going to have on our rivers and lakes and water levels and uh, potential flooding. So we got a lot of things to cover that could affect your outdoor activities. Also, I want to remind people, we'll talk more about this later, but St. Vrain Park is having their... uh, their fishing day today, so it's free except for your entrance into the park. They're giving fishing seminars out there. They're teaching people to fish, and they're well-stocked with a lot of trout. So if you're looking for something to uh, do uh, through the now through the middle of the day or into early afternoon, I'm not sure the hours. We'll get that a little later here. Uh, you can go out there and take a kid, and they'll teach them to fish and do everything they can. Or even if you're an adult, I'm 12 years old when I'm catching fish, so that'll work too. Another thing we're going to talk about later in the show today are all these articles on zombie deer. Really? We'll talk about that and clear that up. But right now, let's go to the phones because one of our favorite, favorite contributors, somebody I always enjoy talking to, Mr. Bernie Keefe. Good morning, Bernie. Good morning. Did you just say zombie beer? Yes, I did. Haven't you seen the national headlines are all over? If you want to know what I'm talking about, Bernie, you're going to have to listen to the next segment. Wow. Okay. We we just went to a whole new level. (laughs) Trust me. You know what? I'm part of the press, and I know that. But, Bernie, I get so—I should have mentioned this earlier. I don't want to eat up your segment. But when I see some of the um, things the press writes to get spectacular headlines or sensationalized things, the other one that really eats at me is—because I've been involved in search and rescue and survival courses— and I hear these people were, they were trapped on the trail or trapped in their car, and they survived for a day and a half by eating a bag of peanuts or by eating caterpillars. Give me a break. They did more damage to themselves eating caterpillars. You can go weeks without food, but some reporter gets a hold of the story, and it drives me crazy, Bernie. Don't eat a caterpillar. That's the moral to that story. It really is. I'm going to talk more about that later, too, when I get into a segment by myself later. But right now. Hey, when we're, since we're sensationalizing stuff, let's sensationalize slush. Oh, that yeah, okay. we're buried in up there in the mountains. 
Well, and that's one of the reasons I got you on. You know, normally I get you on to tell me how great the fishing is and so we could send hundreds of people up to your lakes to catch fish. And I think there is some really good fishing in most of the lakes and the mountains, but getting to it doesn't sound very easy from our conversation. It it is absolutely horrible up there. Um, I guess two guys walked out on Williams Fork walking and they had to call search and rescue to get them out. Um, I don't understand that one, but guys on Granby snowmobiles are getting stuck real bad. ATVs, don't even think about an ATV or UTV out there on the lake. Even with tracks, I would not suggest it. If you're going out with a snowmobile, make sure you have one with these high, high horsepower and decent paddles or a wide track something special because you you might just bury it bad out there. Well, the other thing, if you bury a snowmobile or any vehicle right now and we get turns cold and it gets frozen in, it's you got to bust it to get it out. You're, you're going to have problems. Now, you know, I just wrote an article and it's I think it's on my website or it's definitely on my Facebook page on um, or I did a video on my Facebook page on how to get out of slush. So if you're thinking about bringing a machine, you might want to look up my Facebook page and go back a few days and find that. That'll give you some ideas on how to get out. Uh, that is Fishing with Bernie. Is that the Facebook page? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. I mean, folks, you should follow Fishing with Bernie anyway. And, you know, Bernie, one of the reasons you and I talked, I said, you know, I know it's tough up there. And a lot of times we want to come on and we want to tell people where the hot action is. We want them to take advantage of it, maybe book a trip, but we want them to know what's going on and so they can enjoy the outdoors. And right now we're kind of a shoulder season. We're, st- we're Later on in the show, we're going to talk a lot about open water and boating. There's some pretty good opportunities. We've been talking that the mountains were still providing some decent ice fishing, but why don't you give us a rundown? You said the Granby, probably Grand Lake and Williams Fork are pretty slushy. What's... What's the, give us a rundown of the whole area up there. Everything I am fishing is just inundated with slush. It's, it's real bad. You'll have some good spots and you'll have some bad spots. Uh, As the season goes, it's going to crust over and get better. And when it does, we might need extensions on our augers with all that snow on the ice. And if it crusts over, it's also going to be extremely, all that water underneath that crust of ice and before the ice, all that slushy stuff, that's going to bind up your augers. So you're going to, your hole drilling is going to slow way down. You're going to have to be careful not to break gear. Um, And right now, I'll tell you, I did not, since the storm, I went out Wednesday and it's when the storm hit, and I haven't been out since. I just really do not want to deal with that slush on the lake. It was well, pretty bad. Now the fishing was fairly good up till up till that. Is that is that correct? You know, I struggled on big fish all year long this year. I just wasn't doing whatever they wanted me to do. But the little fish bite for me has been good. We've been able to go out a bad day. We'd still get ten or fifteen fish. So. That was still pretty good, but my big fish bites just, I've been off this year. Well, how long do you think, I mean, we can't predict because we don't know the weather. Typically, when will we start to see the ice recede up in those lakes up there? I'm betting it's going to, we're back to the winters of old, and I'm betting it's going to be the first or second week of May. That's going to be, if I delay money on two weeks, it'd be one of them closer to the second week. And I think it's going to be, um, well, we we have no idea. If this runoff comes quickly, it's going to be epic. So we're going to talk a lot about that, and I'll talk to you more about that. But when, when the ice does recede, assuming you don't get in a lot more ice fishing, uh, you should have some incredible 
uh, shoreline fishing to start with. Oh, it's going to be incredible. They've been stocking a lot of rainbows in the lake. And they've been stocking on Granby and Dillon for sure. They've been stocking a half million to a million fingerlings every year. So that there's going to be some big rainbows eating fingerlings, and there's good, the browns have been a huge benefit, gotten a huge benefit from it. So um, you go out looking for rainbows and browns. I'd really be targeting those lakes. The browns are nice right now. They're they're big. I know of a couple five and a ten pounder that was caught during the three lakes tournament. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of 22, 23-inch fish out there. Now, as we approach, assuming people could even walk out on the ice close, and uh, and as we approach open water, are you able to get those browns and rainbows pretty close to shore yet, or have they moved away? A lot of times it depends on oxygen levels and stuff. What, what if, Where would you look right now if you could get out on that ice? I would stay in water less than 10 feet deep for the rainbows. I'd be in the backs of the bays. And the rocks, I'd be out, or in the browns, I'd be looking for the rocks or right where a drop-off hits into a two- or three-foot flat. And, you know, and you're right, those browns are feeding in both those lakes. Uh, It looks like they're going to be tremendous. Let's talk about the snowpack you've got up there, too, Bernie. Um, I'm I'm hearing reports of 150%. Does that sound about right? Oh, boy. I have more snow in my yard this year than I have in the 11 years I've lived in my house. I was out with a tractor yesterday trying to clear out a parking spot and it took me a long time to get it done. Um, I, it's just the snowfall we have this year. I would say it's downright epic. Well, and the snow came late. I mean, we got snow early. It fell all year. Then we had that warming trend a little bit in January. And then right after that, it just kept snowing. And there's places in the mountains that got 100 inches or more over that period of time. And my biggest fear is we're getting late in the year. Normally by this time, we've had some settling. We've actually had some early runoff from some warm days. But that snow really hasn't settled or gone away, and we could get more on top of it. If we would get extremely warm and get a thunderstorm or two, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to some of these rivers. Of biblical proportions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, none of us can predict. I can say to the river, they're going to be big this year. They, we were talking the other day, runoff will slowly, will slow down around September. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the two uh, the two things that could happen. One is that we get really warm and we see this stuff go quickly and we see damaging flooding. The other is that it cools down enough at night to slow it down, but it, then it keeps running off until you're, you know, uh, realistically into July, and you really screw up the rivers. Now the lakes are going to be fishable as soon as the ice gets off. Uh, do you expect the water levels to be good in all the lakes around you? I expect the water levels to be good. One thing I expect is we're going to be fishing a muddy lake this year. A lot of the reservoirs where the rivers are coming in are going to push that mud line way down into reaches of the lake that you haven't seen it for a long time. And Granby's going to be, <laughs> excuse me, Granby will be cut in thirds um, because of the inlets coming in the mud and the mud forming everywhere. How do you approach that mud like that when it does, <laughs> when the ice does go off? Well, I look for mud lines. Um, I also, I'm a firm believer that the mud's not top to bottom, that the mud's going to, you know, that the real muddy water is going to be on top and then it's going to sift out as it goes deeper. So I keep fishing. If I'm fishing lake trout and if they're, if they're in deeper water, I just look for them and fish for them. And I might use some flashier, some brighter, some glow type lures. I might put um, some flash on some stuff to make it a little more 
seeable or rattles. I might do something like that. But for the most part, I think if you're in, say it's mid-June and uh, you're fishing 40 feet deep um, and you're, you see a bunch of mud on the water, I think I would just go start to act like it's clear down there because I kind of think it sifts out and they'll just have particles down there. It'll be a lot clearer on the bottom than on top. Yeah, so it's going to be, we're going to keep in touch with you because I, I think it's going to be very difficult to predict this spring and early summer season. And and fishermen are going to need up-to-date information to plan their trips. Before I let you go, as, as difficult as some of the things can be up there, um, we're going to talk later on about some lower-level stuff here. But if somebody just wants to get out, we're going to have a great day tomorrow. We've got some great days coming up this week. Um, are there some places you could recommend that maybe people could come up and get that last ice fishing trip or two in? Well, you can come out to our lakes. You just got to be careful. Be prepared for slush. Um, don't bring your work boots. Have rubber boots. Just be prepared for it. It's going to get better. Be, you know, it's going to get better and better and better, and you won't be getting stuck here in a week or so. It might even that might even be this week. You won't be getting stuck. But you just got, you have to be prepared for breaking through with your feet on slush and that big, that it's just going to be hard work to get to where you want to go. And if you fish the areas like, say, on Granby, you fish around Sunset Point, that's probably going to be some of the better traveling because that's where people are walking and packing it down and already breaking it through. So it breaks that crust and it freezes solid around there. And that's also a place where you can get at those trout and browns without having to walk very far if you want. Oh, exactly. Nobody, I don't see anybody fishing near the bank on sunset. There's not a lot of structure there, but I'll bet you them rainbows and browns, I bet you they're cruising up and down that bank. Well, I would, I would, I would bet you're, you're absolutely right. What have you heard about, you, you mentioned Granby, Grand Lake, Williams Fork. What about Wolford? Wolford, I haven't heard much about it at all. Um, it's almost like nobody's going down there that I haven't talked to anybody who's been down there. So I really don't have any insight in that at all. How about the, the wind? Ro- Go ahead, Mark, Bernie. The wind going into Wolford, the way it comes down the valley, might blow a lot of that snow off, and that might be very fishable. What, what about the roads and getting around up there? Have you guys, are you okay? Oh, yeah. If you're, if you're on a county road or a highway you're going to be fine but if you go to williams fork and turn in that west boat ramp and you think you're going to drive down to the point good luck with that tow trucks start at 250 dollars if you can get one out there yeah it's going to be an interesting rest of the year bernie if people want more information especially you've got some slush a slush video you said they need to watch or if they want to book a guide trip coming up whether it's uh, I, I know you're probably pretty full and with the conditions, but it's not going to be that long, and some of those big lake trout spring trips will be there. How do they get a hold of you? My website, Fishing with Bernie, Facebook, Fishing with Bernie, Instagram, Fishing with Bernie. Uh, you can give me a call or email me off the website. And one last thing, I'm going to be in Shields today look, with Lawrence. If you guys want to talk sonar, come on down to Shields and talk with me. All right, what time will you be there? I'll be there in about a half hour, and I'll be there till about 3 or 4. All right, Bernie, uh, maybe we'll even stop and see on our way home today. Good luck, and what a great opportunity. Stop by Shields and visit with Bernie today. Bernie, thank you so much. We will talk to you again very soon. Hey, thanks, Terry. You guys have a good weekend. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Well, I asked you for Dire Straits, and you produce immediately. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part 
by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones where we are joined by Lauren Truitt from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, looking out the studio window today, I'm a lot better than I was Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I bet the whole city is better than what we were Wednesday and Thursday. Oh, you're not kidding. Hey, I opened the show today by telling them we were going to explain about the zombie deer. Um, You and I have talked about sensationalized headlines and journalism. And so are there deer running around Colorado that if they bite me, I'm going to be a zombie? You know, the the undead deer have, have not taken over Colorado, and they are not coming out of the hills to downtown Denver. Yeah. You know, and I'll, and I'll you know, when they talk about zombie deer, they're talking about chronic wasting disease. We've actually been dealing with it in Colorado for quite some time, haven't we? We have. Um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife has been studying chronic wasting disease since the late 60s. So, um, nothing new to us here in Colorado. Um, again, something that we have a lot of history with. And what what I would say is we're very fortunate is we employ some of the, the leading researchers and um, veterinarian scientists on this disease here in Colorado. So I'd say we're at the forefront of, of studying this disease, but we still have a long way to go. Now, there are some new mandated regulations. So I, I think what's happened, and you and I have talked about this, is we're seeing chronic wasting disease show up in some areas across the country that either they weren't detected before, which is probably part of it, it probably was there, or they um, or it has moved into those areas. Now, Colorado was, like you said, in the forefront. We really kind of narrowed down how this disease got spread to the wild, and we were some of the, some of the leading research has been done here. But now it, it is here, and it's in other parts of the country. Tell me about the new testing regulations. Yeah, so we um, we have instituted uh, last year and this year, um, and, and we've done it historically, but we are we are doing what's considered a mandatory testing in, in a select number of units across the state. Um, what we're really trying to do is get the, the best possible data sets and the best possible science we can to really understand how chronic wasting disease is affecting the, the herds in Colorado. The disease really affects um, buck deer most. Um, so we're, we're honing in and really focusing on, on our deer populations because if we can kind of pinpoint and control it in deer, um, that, that, sub, sub, um, that subspecies then goes into to elk and very rare in moose, but it, it has been found in moose. Um, so when, when you're looking at the, the units that you're trying to apply for, when you're looking at hunting opportunities, just be aware um, look at the regulations. All of it's in the, the big game hunting brochure of which units are in mandatory um, sampling. Now, and then you can take your head to any of our any of our offices. Now, the fact that you're doing testing doesn't mean necessarily that you feel there's been an increase in chronic wasting disease in Colorado. It's just the uh, attention to it kind of waxes and wanes depending on what's going on around the country. And you would just want to be in the forefront of research and herd management. Is that right? You're absolutely correct. Like what we're what we're what we're seeing in our our testing results from these mandatory samplings is what our researchers had projected. Um, it's just now we have the data sets to back up our our hunch of what's happening in different herds around the state. Um, historically, we've relied so much on voluntary sampling and 
as anybody knows, you know, voluntary sampling, it it, it can be kind of limited. Um, and so that's when we, we really looked at the mandatory sampling as an opportunity to get the, the most robust data here in Colorado. Um, as you mentioned, it's getting a lot of federal attention right now. There's two bills going through um, Congress, one in the House and one in the Senate, that would provide funding for dedicated research and on-the-ground management, which is really exciting for us as an agency and agencies across the U.S. because our our attention has to wax and wane here in, in the state um, based on what we really need that funding and research attention to go to. Now, with the federal government coming in and saying, this is a big deal, we need to help the states out, it allows us to really maximize and leverage research across this across the U.S. Um, to really bolster our efforts here in Colorado. Now, this mandatory testing, is there a charge for that? No. So the agency is picking up the tab on uh, mandatory sampling. So any, any animal taken in a, in a mandatory sampling unit, uh, the agency will pick up the tab. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't just also voluntarily get your, your animal tested, which is what we recommend anyway. And that's a $25 um, cost if you do the voluntary sampling. Um, but it, it really allows you to have some peace of mind, making sure that your animal that you're taking home to your family um, is clear of, of chronic wasting disease. Now, that, be, that being said, we really haven't seen any indication that the disease has passed to human beings. Is that right? We haven't. Um, so we, we in Colorado and, and mostly across the U.S., we follow the, the CDC's recommendations. Um, there have been no reported species barrier crossings is how we, we say it. But we haven't seen chronic wasting disease affect humans. Um, but we don't recommend people eating disease, the, the meat that, that comes back positive with the disease. And so um, again, which is really important of why it, it's good to just test, um, gives you peace of mind that the meat you're bringing home is is good for your family. Um, you know, I think what what is most important for hunters as they're looking at this and there's more attention is hunting is our best tool. We need people to keep hunting. Um, it really helps us control this, but it also helps us understand what's happening on the ground. Well, hunting, you harvest animals, you get to test. It helps you control yep. the herd size and concentration. And it's, you know, and and the revenue from hunting helps support Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And yeah, we want people out there and we want them to feel confident. And hunting also, it, it's got a rich tradition and a, a heritage of putting some meat on the table. And that's always been Colorado's heritage is hunting for that table fare. And as long as you test, I mean, even if you didn't, the odds are nothing would happen. But if you test your animal, you know, you should go out and harvest animal. You should take Absolutely. it home. It's part of the part of the experience. And we want we want our hunters to feel confident. Uh, we need them. We we as an agency, we need them to continue hunting uh, our herds. Uh, as you mentioned, that that funding from their licenses is what makes sure the science is as robust as it is. And it's also the, the main factor of why Colorado has 960 amazing species is, is all due to um, hunting and fishing licenses. Now, now I'm going to steal a couple minutes here. We're really out of time, but I want to touch on one thing. And by the way, I know that, um, that Spencer's waiting. And Spencer, we're going to get to you and we're going to give you a full segment because Spencer's going to tell us about a park where boating is open already and go fishing. So that'll be exciting. But the last thing I want to bring up, Lauren, before we uh, end this segment is that we've had a winter with a lot of snow. 
And there's going to be did. people that think that there are deer and elk suffering. Uh, you guys will watch that, and you may do some emergency feeding. But first of all, most people don't feed them the right things, and it causes more harm than good. Also, um, it's illegal to feed big game animals in Colorado. But while we're talking about chronic wasting disease, too, you don't want to concentrate those animals. You really don't. And that's why we try and stress so much that um, feeding wildlife is is not only just detrimental to, to their health, but to, to the herd's health. Um, congregating those animals in, in small spaces um, is where we see a lot of potential for d- disease spread. We really try and be very conservative when we have to do emergency feeds. There's a lot of criteria that, that needs to be met before we decide, um, you know, that risk-benefit ratio. And one of the things is, is the potential disease spread. And we have to be very cognizant of, of when and where we're doing that. And we just really, really encourage people not to feed wild animals um, for, for a myriad of reasons. But one important one is disease spread. We are way out of time. We got to go. But I'm glad to hear there are no walking dead deer and they're not going to bite me. <laughs> chronic, nope, wasting, chronic wasting disease is out there and it's an issue we have to be aware of and understand dealing with it. But Lauren, thank you. That was so informative. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Terry. You bet. That's Lauren Truitt from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We are going to take a time out and we get back. We're going to go to a park where you could be on the water catching big pike today yet on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan and we are going right to the phones because he's been patiently waiting to tell us about this gem of a park that doesn't get enough publicity. And joining us is Spencer Girk from Lathrop State Park. Good morning, Spencer. Good morning, Terry. And uh, that's 100% correct. I do like to think of Lathrop as a fitting gym in southeast Colorado. It really is, because you, well, you're kind of, I guess if you were going to tell people where you were located, you're kind of maybe halfway between Pueblo and Trinidad, which is that, and then you're just off the highway. Is that a pretty good description? Yeah, so we're about two and a half to three hours south of Denver, and it's just an easy drive. You hop on I-25 and go all the way to Waldenburg, and then we're a few miles west on Highway 160. Describe the park to people who haven't been there. Uh, so... The park's about 1,600 acres, and we have two lakes, Horseshoe Lake and Martin Lake. Um, Horseshoe Lake is a wakeless lake that has great fishing opportunities. And then Martin Lake, also great fishing opportunities, but a good place to get the jet skis out and some of the uh, water power sports. Uh, We have multiple camping options. We have electric group camping sites, non-electric group camping sites, and then we have tent camping and electric camping, and we have a nine-hole golf course, and there's um, a restaurant up there, and that staff, they're great, and they're super friendly, and we have multiple trails to hike on, so um, pretty much everything from uh, horse riding to archery to golf to fishing, wildlife viewing, the the, the whole family will find something to do at least. So. Well, I think you're the only state park that has a golf course. I've been there. I haven't played. I haven't played golf there. I can embarrass myself enough fishing. I don't have to swing the golf club. But you know, people would think that um, being out, you know, where you're at in the south part of the state, east of the mountains, that it might be kind of barren. But that's not the case. First of all, you have incredible mountain views there, but you also have a lot of vegetation, don't you? 
Yeah, so we have great views. Um, the park has a lot of pinion juniper trees, so the campground's really private. And then on the north side of Martin, you get the beautiful view of the Spanish Peaks. So it's really a, a unique spot in Colorado. And by the way, we didn't mention, too, that the archery range is free to get in, isn't it? That's correct. There's access right off uh, Highway 160, a couple miles uh, west of the main park entrance, and you do not have to have a park pass to use the archery range. Now, you talked about the camping. Your camping is open year-round, that's right? That is correct. And you are on the new system where you can't just show up and get a space. You need a reservation, but you can make that reservation up to the same day, right? Yep, that's correct. So we're on the new reservation system, and you can make a reservation as far out as six months in advance. Or um, in the wintertime, when it's a little bit slower, you can come to the park and go right up to the campground and see a spot that looks great and reserve it right there on your phone. Right, you can do it right on your cell phone because you guys are close enough where you got cell phone service. Now, before we run out of time, because I know we ran... By the way, I appreciate you waiting a little extra. I thought that chronic wasting disease information was really important, but I, I do want to... I, I teased people that I was going to tell them where they could put their boat on the water yet today and catch a big pike. Now, you actually... Your boat ramps are open, is that right? Yes, both our boat ramps on Horseshoe and Martin Lake are open. I have already had about half a dozen boats out on the water, and they've been catching trout and pike. And I talked to a family that was doing some shoreline fishing the other day, and they were having good luck, too. Well, I think the two lakes offer some similar species, but they offer some differences. Now, you mentioned that Martin Lake has uh, open for more boating as far as, as far as you can even water ski and things on that. But it has pretty good fishing in its own, too, doesn't it? Yeah, we have walleye, there's pike, there's catfish, smallmouth bass, uh, bluegill. There's a little bit of your your typical um, Colorado species that you're going to find stocked and a little bit of everything in Martin Lake. And, of course, it's stocked with trout also, I believe. That is correct. We've uh, we've had the stocking crew out, and um, there's plenty of rainbow trout out there. And and that one's the one that's open to other boating. Now you've got um, Horseshoe Lake, which has a you can put your boat on it, but it's wakeless. You have some unique opportunities there, don't you? Yeah. So in Horseshoe, you have the opportunity to catch tiger muskie, which is um, a, a fairly big draw for the the anglers. They're out looking for those. And there's also sauger and uh, rainbow trout and smallmouth and largemouth bass and and horseshoe as well. And you can get on the water right now. Now, a couple things, um, you know, a sauger, a sauguy, and a walleye are all similar species. A, a, a sauguy is a cross between a walleye and a sauger. Sauger was actually more of a river-run species, but you've got them there. And I believe, didn't a state record sauger come out of one of your lakes? Yeah, Horseshoe Lake in 2011 um, had a record by weight at 3.672 pounds. So that's a that's a nice fish. Now, people who catch walleyes will think that's just an average nice eating fish. Is there a pretty robust population of sauger, sauguy, or whichever in those lakes? Yeah, um, we've had in the years past, uh, we have a lot of returning anglers, and uh, they, they keep coming back for the, the great fishing opportunity and, and the high success rate. Now, I want to talk about the pike 
and the tiger muskie too. They're they're cousins. In fact, the tiger muskie is a cross between a uh, muskie and a pike, but they're a little different. You fish for them differently. Little difference in the catch rates. Let's talk about the pike first. Uh, are pike just in horseshoe? And um, what kind of size have you seen come out of the lake? Uh, yeah, there there's um, pike in Martin Lake, and the we've seen some pretty pretty good sized fish come out of there. We've had, uh, if you stop by the visitor center, we have a catch of the day book and, um, there's, there's, uh, some pike that have come out that, uh, some of the youth have a whole time, hard time holding up. They're so large. And, and they're just a fun fish to catch and they're aggressive. Now the tiger muskie, that's a very unique fish. It's sterile, so it can't multiply. And they used to stock a lot more of them around the state. They still stock them. And I believe Horseshoe down there is one that gets stocked, but they get quite large. In fact, I think there's some fairly, almost giant tiger muskie in Horseshoe, isn't there? Yeah, there are. They're um, a, a little bit, uh, takes usually a few trips down the lake trip, which uh, we we don't complain about at all. We love to see people returning, but um, they're, they're out there. And when people get one of those on the line, they're very excited. And we usually see them at the visitor center. Yeah, what what's some what are some of the bigger muskies you've heard of come out of that lake? Um, I've actually only been down at the park since December, so I'm really looking forward to uh seeing what we what we get this summer, so I can't tell you for sure. I know that personally, not at Horseshoe, but throughout the state, I've caught tiger muskies over 40 inches, and what a thrill and a a treat it is to catch one of those. But I think the thing that I really want to stress for you guys right now before I let you go is that we're going to talk to some other lakes that are opening up right now or that will be opening up in the next couple of weeks, but there's a huge pent-up demand to get outside this these winter this never-ending winter up here in the northern front range has really got people with cabin fever and so if we're going to have some nice weather today tomorrow and through next week boy if somebody's looking for a chance just even come go by the shore have a picnic lunch and catch some fish or better yet get their boat in the water you guys are ready and willing and you know or if you want to come down there and camp i'll bet it's going to be warmer down there today than it is here yeah, we're today. It's nice and sunny. We're looking at the mid fifties, and there's no lake, a water or ice on the lake, and you can put your boat in. And there's plenty of camping and picnicking opportunities. So it's for a short drive from Denver. It'll be a, a really great day or weekend. All right, we've got to let you go, but I'll tell you what, everybody's pent up, folks. If you're looking for a place to get out, get some open water, catch a variety of fish, whether from shore or boat, you know, think about Lathrop. I've been down there. It's a great place and well worth the trip. All right, well, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Terry, for having me on. Uh, All right, that's Spencer from Lathrop State Park. And there's just, folks, there's opportunities coming. I know we've got pent-up demand. We'll take a quick time out, and then I've got a few things I want to talk about. And Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. 
by the way, they are having their St. Patrick's Day celebration today. You might want to head on down there. Uh, they're going to have just so many things going on, including free food while it lasts. And it's just a, it's one of the best St. Patrick parties in town. And you can find more details, by the way, on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Just scroll down. You know, speaking of my Facebook page, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. The Facebook page is kind of the focal point of this radio show. We try to let you know about special upcoming things we're going to cover on the show. And then timely uh podcasts or articles I've written that make sense that you might really want that information after the show. We try to put those up. If you were to go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors right now, and just scroll down to what's been posted, the most recent post I did was about interacting with animals. It it includes a... um, an article I wrote for the Denver Post, plus a podcast off this show with Parks and Wildlife and dealing with uh, young of the year fawns and calves that the uh, animals are having. Meeting a moose on a snowpack trail, how do you deal with that? Really goes through some of that. Uh, and so it's a great article. If you're going to be spending time out in the woods, also talks about coyotes. So it's just a good interaction. If you scroll down below that, the next article is shore fishing. Chad Lachance and I got together. Chad did... Um, two segments on the air with me about fishing from shore. He does a lot of small lake and pond fishing from shore, and he actually covered it at his International Sportsman's Exposition. So we brought that seminar to the radio. I wrote a column for the Denver Post, and the segments and the column, for those of you we hear all the time you want more shore fishing because you don't have a boat, or a lot of times shore is just the best way to fish. So that would be the next article as you scroll down. Then there's the St. Patrick's Day um, information uh, at Sun with frequent corned beef, cabbage, and lunch while it lasts. Um, but if you get below that, then the Karen has posted a, uh, she posts every time we add a video to our YouTube channel. So she just posted up there, Colorado Flat Top Mountain Brook Trout Fishing. So that would be on the Facebook. And then we have a whole series after that about getting ready for open water, including a Hall of Fame angler, host of Lake Commandos, Steve Panaz talking fishing line, Ronnie Castiglione talking about how to pick the right rod and reel as we go into the open water season. So all that and more on our Facebook channel. A Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So follow us there and go back and read a lot of those articles. There's a lot of great information. We'll be posting more soon. I'm going to post something probably in the next couple of weeks on fishing rainbow, stock rainbow trout. And then I'm going to do another one on uh, ticks and tick-borne diseases, which is really becoming an issue we need to be aware of. But we try to really keep you informed on, on, the, on the Facebook channel. Mentioned the YouTube channel. There's over 100 episodes of our two television shows that ran for 22 seasons on our YouTube channel. And many of them were filmed years in the past. But, but there's still a lot of timely information, good tips, and hopefully a little entertainment. So always check that out. A couple other things I want to talk to you, though, about is we are coming into what could be one of the most epic runoff seasons we've had in many, many years. And so we're going to really work hard in the next few weeks to get people on from all aspects of outdoors, whether it's fly fishing, whether it's fishing the lakes, whether it's scouting for turkey hunting. Uh, whatever camping, whatever, because it's all going to be affected this year. When will when will higher campgrounds open? How much flooding? Will this go suddenly with rain and will we see epic flooding? Will it melt slowly and we'll see runoff all the way into the middle or past of summer that will impact fly fishing and rafting and drifting uh, the rivers? So there's a lot to talk about. 
Uh, the ice is barely coming off a lot of the front range front range lakes. How is that affecting the walleye spawn? We're all interested in how that's going to come out. So we're going to stay on top of those type of things and really keep you informed. We're going to cover a lot of shoreline fishing in the next couple weeks too because I think we're going to have some of the best uh, fishing for trout on the front range from shore we've had for years because of the on and off ice conditions. Uh, we didn't get a lot of pressure. We got ice fishermen out there, but the conditions were really questionable off and on. So everybody I talked to, no matter what front range lake or pond it is, says we didn't have nearly the ice fishermen on them. And because of that, the, you know, they heavily stock the front range lakes in the fall. They, they want them stocked in the cooler weather for trout fishermen to be able to go catch fish both in the fall, then through the ice and some in the spring. And they're stocking again already. So what you need to do is find out when those lakes were stocked, which ones were stocked heavily. And uh, there's going to be a bonanza, I think, because they didn't get pressured during the winter. People weren't out across the lakes giving them the type of fishing pressure. Bar Lake is one that comes to mind. Uh, Boyd Lake, people didn't get out as far in the middle. There's just been across the front range, all these front range waters. Those trout are going to start moving to shore now that the ice is either receding or gone or or a big part of the lake is open. And you can do so well from shore. couple factors. The trout like to return to where they were planted, so a lot of the boat ramps will be ideal situations to go after those trout. They also are going to try to spawn along the shoreline or in inlets, and that that's going to bring in brown trout in those rivers too. And that's going to bring them closer to shore. And the fact that there's bug activity... And warmer water where that ice goes away, you're going to see more fish activity. So the time to get out and start fishing that open water from shore is right now. I do have one article about catching big trout from shore on my Facebook page that I did with uh, uh, Nate Zielinski, who's going to join us here in just a few minutes. You might want to check that out. And so get ready. And I'm going to post another one on catching stock trout. And there's not only stock trout in these front range lakes, but huge holdover trout. I'm talking trout in the 10 pound range are going to be available on lakes like Chatfield. So you but you just be ready for that and be ready to get out there. I'm sure Nate will bring us up to speed on some of that when he comes on. The last thing I got to get off my chest is sensationalized news articles about the outdoors. If you were listening in the first hour, you heard me kind of spoofing these articles we're seeing all over the news about zombie deer. You know, give me a break, zombie deer. I just, somebody writes a headline or an article and they think that's going to grab everybody's attention. They're talking about chronic wasting disease. We actually have been dealing it with here in, in Colorado for over a decade. Our research is way ahead. It's an issue and we're addressing it. And if you were listening, you heard about all the positive things we're doing, but there's still an awareness that's needed. But zombie deer is so ridiculous way of sensationalizing the headline. It doesn't do any good to anybody. My other beef on sensationalizing outdoors is uh, I heard it during this blizzard where people were stranded. I hear it every time somebody gets lost or injured in the mountains and somebody has to go look for him. It, I hear the he was in the mountains, lost or trapped for two days, or he was in his car for three days. Or I hear that he, he survived by eating bugs for two days. Well, you know, first of all, eating those bugs for two days did him more harm than good, and that's a lot of bad information to put out in the public. You can go weeks without food. You can go days without water, and those aren't usually the things that are going to come into play if you're lost, hurt, or stranded. Now, 
granted, you're going to be more comfortable if you have something to eat, and you're going to, it's always good to stay hydrated, but they're not going to be a survival issue. You're probably more likely to die of something else long before that, all right? And I get so tired of that. The guy that ate the caterpillars or beetles to stay alive did himself more harm than good. He's not helping himself. We don't want that information out there. I'm going to do some more survival and comfort classes on the outdoors on the radio here over the next few months. There is one, too. If you uh, go to my Facebook page, you have to go back a ways that I wrote for the Denver Post. Bring that up. Get some good tips. Understand the outdoors. And don't. uh, I heard one lady on the news during this storm about a car trapped, trapped in a snow bank. And they were talking about food and water again, which is ridiculous. And she said, I wonder what they did for water. They were surrounded by snow. I'm sorry. And, okay, that's my beef for the day. Let's go talk to Nate Zielinski here in just a minute. We'll take a quick time out, and we'll get back on track, and we'll get some fishing updates from Nate Zielinski on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.